Welcome to The Holy Hive Show, a podcast about Utah culture and life. I'm Jordan Delacruz here with Dan Lawler. Today on the show, we're going to do a little bit of news, talk about a COVID glitch that caused a bunch of uh, Utah residents, including yours truly, to sign up <laughs> for a COVID vaccine way ahead of the time that you were supposed to. Uh, also, Ogden is opening up a new arts plaza. We're going to talk about uh, Paris Hilton's activism mm -hmm. here in our state. And then uh, later in the show, we're going to do a little feature we like to call Good Times with Bad Movies, where we're going to talk about uh, movies that were initially reviewed as poor and, and, and not, you know, bad, bad movies at the time. Yeah. But we think are good. Uh, so that's all coming up. Dan, uh, before we kick things off, I did want to talk about something. So uh, now we're almost officially a year into the pandemic. I, I, think, I think when I went home from work, like, it was like, hey, quarantine time. Yeah. Uh, I think it was March 12th. That makes think, sense. Think, that sounds about right. I think, yeah, I think it was March 12th. So we're about a week away from like being a year into this thing. And so like reflecting on the past year made me consider how different things were before the pandemic and how different they're probably going to stay. Like, I don't feel like we're going to hit the full normal. Like we'll get back to business as usual, but um, it made me think about like the good things that might've come out of this pandemic. I'm talking about like ha habits or logistics or things that we, we basically did society did to facilitate this pandemic that we might like want to keep around. So what are some things to you, like things or habits that you think we should keep after this pandemic's over? Well, I do think that general cleanliness has, has probably risen for, for a decent amount of people. I know that yeah. I wash my hands like a madman. Decent um, hygiene year. Yeah. It, and so I think that that's something we should just keep on going, you know, keep, keep washing hands. I think yeah. even after, <laughs> and then I guess related to that, like less handshakes in general, I yeah. don't think I've shook an actual hand. That's not true. I know I shook someone's hand in like October or uh -huh. something, but just just less handshakes, yeah, more yeah. hand washing, uh -huh. um, some hand wringing, and uh, we should be good. I mean, I guess remote work when needed. I know that you personally would rather be in an office, but I think that this has proven that micromanagers are not necessary to yeah. keep businesses afloat. Mm -hmm. um, your boss telling you that, no, you have to be here for this various reason. Um probably you can probably call bullshit on that now mm -hmm. um so i think that that is something that would be nice um keep the stimulus checks coming yeah right? we don't we shouldn't need a pandemic <laughs> yeah. to give me some more money yeah. this on the virtual meeting thing like i think that the meetings have kind of brought to light what is important to talk about mm -hmm. face to face and the, i guess the phrase is this could have been an email yeah. you know and i think like scheduling all of our meetings to be online just adds an extra step of logistics. You can't just call everybody into a room and it's like that easy. Um, you actually have to like bug people's at home time. And I think not only just like with work meetings, like I think I don't necessarily need more virtual work meetings, but like virtual meetings with like professionals when you have to talk to them about something. Like I saw an article somewhere, I think it was like KSL that and, and a local doctor was talking about how um, they've done so well with like virtual checkups, like checking in with people online, that that's going to be like a huge thing moving forward. Yeah. And so I think stuff like that, where you could have a face-to-face -face with someone on the computer when you don't need to like drive out there or anything like that. Um, so I, I actually do agree, like virtual meetings should stick around. And I think we just got really good at it. Yes, now. absolutely. I mean, it's hard not to have, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. After doing it for a year. Yeah. And it's something that I don't think everyone was like good at before the pandemic. And now we've done it so many times that we just... I, yeah. I work for an all-remote company, mm -hmm. um, and I have for three years now, and there are people that have worked there for 10 years that are still not good at it. So I think that there <laughs> there is a uh, just a type of person who's just not fit yeah, for, yeah. for a virtual either meeting or office yeah. environment. So. And sometimes that's just like people like, you know, people that have trouble going from uh, input to HDMI exactly. on their TV. You know? It's those exact people. It's the people that, yeah. like, I just hear their cat constantly on, like, yeah. a whole 80-person <laughs> team call because they just refuse to mute. Yeah, they're like, what's mute? Um, uh, another thing that I think we should keep, scheduled experiences. I like – li so whether it's, like, the gym – like right now, my gym, you have to schedule your time in the gym. Mm -hmm. And so you can schedule a two-hour block. Um, and they do that to just manage crowd control, Yeah, basically. Um, I've heard that Disneyland is going to be possibly, I don't think they've made an official announcement about this, but rumors are that like they're going to be um, implementing a scheduled 
thing like that. So you can't just walk up, buy a ticket, and go into Disneyland anymore. You you make your plans, and you have like you know usually when you when you buy a pass, uh, you you can buy a ticket to Disneyland, and as soon as you scan it, you have like a week to use all your days. Mm. So you can't just like you get a three day pass, you can't just use them whenever. So they already kind of have something like that, um, but now it's like you actually schedule the days that you're in the park. They're not going to have walk-in traffic and it's just like their capacity is going to be kept lower. And I'm like, I actually, before the pandemic, I was like, I hope they do something like that because crowds get insane there. And now with everything that's going on, like Disneyland has not been open for a year. And I think they're probably thinking that the only way that they could sustain opening after everything kind of calms down is if like they like work on the crowd control a little Phase bit. it a bit. Yeah, and I just think that'll make the experience even better. It'll be know? easier to uh, book Rise of the Resistance. Yeah. That's a... <laughs> yeah, dude. That's a stressful 30 seconds. Yeah, yeah exactly. And they're, they've always been toying with things like that with like the fast passes and stuff. Uh, y- y- you can do it on your phone now instead of having to go through all the kiosks and stuff. So like any kind of scheduled experience and even like museums do that now. Um, I like the scheduled experience. The DI does that. Oh, really? You got to book through Eventbrite to uh, drop off at the DI now. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Huh. Like, I think that's pretty yeah. nice, too. Yeah. I kind of like it. I like the I like the scheduled experience. Um, also, this kind of goes with, like, the stimulus thing, but, like, just, like, focus on, like, local business. I like that in the past year, it's like, hey, try to spend your money in the community because those are the people that are going to get hit hardest um, with all this stuff. Uh, so the focus on local business, that's kind of always been a thing, but mm-hmm. the increased focus I like. Yes. So I hope that sticks around. All right, let's do some news. So uh, over 7,200 Utahns, myself included, were duped into thinking they could snag a place in line for a vaccine dose last week. Um, I'll elaborate on my personal experience in a sec, but uh, the issue started with a glitch in the state vaccine registration website. After a short survey about your personal details and medical history, there's usually a firewall that will block you from making an appointment to get the vaccine if you don't currently qualify. For some reason, the firewall was down, allowing anyone to make an appointment regardless of their qualifications. Then through social media and personal messages, a rumor began to spread that the state was allowing anyone to make an appointment. After a giant surge, uh, after a giant surge in appointments, Uh, The Utah Department of Health then issued a statement informing people that all unqualified appointments would be canceled. Um, And that's the gist of it. They had a glitch. People were signing up. And then because of that glitch, people were kind of fabricating their own rumors as to why you could make the appointment. And the big one going around was they have all this unused vaccine and it's going to go bad. And we've heard already heard like little stories about this. Uh, th- this was something that I heard that was going on down in in uh, southern Utah, like in Washington County. They weren't using up the, yeah. their supply. Yeah, that they had uh, they had gone through all their registrations and their appointments and everything like that, and they still had a bunch of vaccines, and so they were kind of opening it up. Um, I haven't heard anyone from a, like like actually succeed at doing any of this. Um, as far as what happened to me, so someone at work told me. The, the exact story, the, that, that exact story that there was unused vaccines and that everyone at work was signing up for it. And so I signed up for it. It did let me through. It let me make a, make a, um, an appointment. And I, I, the person that I work with, I texted and was like, are you sure this is actually like, this is, this is legit. And they were like, I was like, I haven't seen any announcement. The state hasn't said anything. And they were like, oh no, a friend of mine told me about this. And then that's when I was like, oh, okay. This, yeah. this is, this is kind of funky. And not only that, but just like the whole time I was like, like, obviously when you hear something like that, you kind of jump on it and you're like, oh, that's, that's interesting. And then as soon as I was like in there doing it, like filling out the survey, I was like, this feels dirty. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't feel good about trying to get a vaccine because I feel like there's, uh, there's, there's, there's you know, people that still need it that can't wait as long as I could, I could wait. And I think that's where that rumor comes it's like it's not a it's not a rumor to like get people to sign up. It's a rumor to kind of curb your own guilt. Truly, <laughs> you know, it's like oh, that's going to go unused. They're literally wasting the vaccine. Um, but it was all it was all bullcrap. And seventy two hundred poppycock Utahns got notifications that they would not be getting the vaccine necessarily. Uh, but I wanted to talk about this. So, is it socially reprehensible for someone to try to obtain the vaccine ahead of schedule? Not if they're duped, I don't think. Yeah. You know, I think that's that's one of the problems with social media 
Mm-hmm. You know, we had a whole long discussion about it last week. Yeah. Is that like so often things just go unverified? You yes. Got a, you got a triple source. Yeah. You got a triple source. <laughs> yeah. Um, so no, I don't think so. Yeah. It's not, it's not reprehensible. I, I still think that you, you might be reprehensible, oh, thanks. but not for, <laughs> but not for any vaccine related, uh, <laughs> drama. Um, if you were just, if you knew, cause there had yeah, to, yeah, yeah. there's not, there's no way that 7,200 yeah. people like, were like, oh wow, this is for real. You know, some of them were gotta be like, oh, yeah. let's, let's, uh, let's pounce on this opportunity. That's a bit reprehensible yeah, 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 just yeah. given the, uh, the, the current state of, mm-hmm. of things. Um, but no, if you just fell for the rumor, that's got to be disappointing. Yeah. But I don't think you're you're really reprehensible now. Yeah, no, and I think I think there is a little bit of a social responsibility. I, like I said, I I think honestly, when I got the the, the text, it was like um, probably like eleven thirty at night, and I think I had maybe a couple cocktails. Yeah, you know, night you know little nighttime creative lubric- lubrication, mm-hmm. and. Uh, not, not, not that I'm saying like this excuses me signing up or anything, <laughs> but as soon as I saw the text, I was like, what? That's crazy. And then I like went in and filled out the thing and it didn't block me. And I was like, are they really doing this? And then that's when I was like, wait, where did you hear about this? Yeah. You know? Um, but I do think there is like kind of a social responsibility of like, you know, if, if like they're, they're, they're handling the rollout of this thing, they have a plan for how they're going to do it. And they've already told us all, you know, they're going to work their way down age groups and, up medical conditions and stuff like that. Those are the people yeah. that are prioritized and it's moving so fast that it's like, just wear your mask. We're going to mm-hmm. have it like sooner than later. I think on a federal level, they were saying that like by the end of May, they will have like, it'll be available for everybody. Yeah, It'll be available yeah. for everyone. Yeah. Um, so that's not too far away. We're, no. get, we're getting there and, and our rates just keep going down. And like, so I was thinking, is there, if, if, is there a possibility that some of these vaccines would go to waste? Again, we don't really know. These are all just rumors that we're hearing. Um, if there w- was a possibility that some of them would go to waste, I feel like there there would be some kind of announcement, like an yeah. official announcement. You know? I think that like uh, Spencer Cox has pushed back pretty hard on on that sort of stuff, and mm-hmm. like has gone on CNN to be like, "No, we're using all of it." Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, if there if there is some going to waste. I guess we got to figure out what to do with that. It's got mm. a short short shelf life, doesn't it? So Yeah, yeah. So yeah, got to sort something out. Mm. Interesting. Well, uh don't try to get the vaccine ahead of time. It's fake fake news. So, a groundbreaking ceremony was held Friday for the Doomke Arts Plaza, a new public gathering place that will be located at 445 25th Street, immediately east of the historic Bigelow Hotel, Ben Lohman Hotel is what yeah, we knew it as. Yeah. I don't know. I, what, <laughs> I think they were bought out by like a national company. Well, then it's not historic. I know, right? It can't <laughs> call it the historic Bigelow Hotel. It has to be the Ben Lohman Hotel. I was so confused as to where this was until yeah. I looked it up and I was like, oh, that's the wrong. You're, you're telling me the wrong hotel. Right? Yeah, yeah. If you grew up in Ogden, you know the Ben Lohman Hotel. Zach and Kelsey got married at that hotel. They're yeah. not going to go around changing. Had my senior prom at that hotel. Wow. Yeah, not too bad. It wasn't the Bigelow back then. Still local. Um, those involved in the uh, $8.3 million endeavor say the plaza uh, is envisioned to uh, function as a gateway between the downtown and east central neighborhood of Ogden and serve as one of the main attractions of the city's Nine Rails Creative District. Uh, part of a larger initiative called the Adams Community Reinvestment Area, the city's goals with Nine Rails is to establish an epicenter for arts and culture in Ogden. The plaza will include... Uh, flexible open space to accommodate large-scale art installations, performances, and other art-based activities, a ramp that leads to an elevated platform, a large LED screen water feature, and smart grid, a system of poles that will provide lighting and power connections that would support different installations and performances like concerts and stuff like that. Uh, There's also a plan for a large gateway sculpture that would span over 25th Street near the plaza site. Um, so cool new developments going on. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. And I don't know about that. Sounds the, really cool. I don't know about the gateway part. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's a big hill. Yeah, like you're gonna have to walk up a yeah. hill if you want to go into those neighborhoods. Yeah, that is right when you turn onto 25th, like yeah. from Washington. I think it is. Where, mm-hmm. That's where that is. Yeah, you'll straight up a hill. Yeah, my mom yeah. lives just like a mile up that road, so she's she's gonna be right on the other side of that gateway. Yeah. Um, so Ogden is continuing its rise as the coolest city in in Utah. I think. One of. One of. <laughs> I think at least with arts and culture stuff. Like, I think it tries. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it tries. <laughs> no, I don't mean, I don't even mean that in a bad way. I, I think, I think it genuinely tries harder than most 
than most municipalities, you know? Still comes up short maybe yeah. a little bit. I just got to be careful with how much I praise Ogden because every time we talk about Ogden, I get a text from my brother to like, why don't you just move back here? Oh, okay. That's so you got to so <laughs> you got to give a little pump resistance. The, pump the brakes a bit, but I do yeah. really I do really love I love Ogden. Yeah, I do too. And I just I think at least for what their their focuses are on, I, I don't know. It's it seems like I haven't seen any effort in Salt Lake at least to like uh boost the the art I mean, obviously it's been we've been in the middle of a pandemic, but yeah. like boost the like arts and culture aspect of the city and the stuff that we already had here has just been kind of falling short. Like we've already talked about before, like the twilight concert series, how that used to be like the most amazing concert mm-hmm. experience in Utah or yeah, in Utah and in Salt Lake. Um, and has since just not been exciting. Yeah. And meanwhile, Ogden has been doing their own twilight concert series and it's been like the coolest thing ever. Um, and so I'm wondering if, if we're going to see a boom in like at least the creative industries in Ogden over the next few years, seems like the only thing growing here is like luxury housing. Yeah. I think that, I think that these smaller towns do a good job of trying to, to do that sort of bolstering. Like I know that Mm -hmm. Provo actually has like a pretty decent art scene. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and probably same for, for some other smaller, obviously helper. Um, (laughs) so like, I, I wonder if these, these smaller towns are noticing like a, hole in in what could be needed in in utah and trying to fill that hole um yeah. but yeah i mean just when as utah continues to grow i do think that not only salt lake and provo and all of these places but ogden mm-hmm. will continue to grow as well and yeah. i think that's a great thing maybe that's maybe maybe i'm just i'm just sour on salt lake now because i've been looking at real estate and real estate is just it's rough brutal it's, it's pretty really brutal. it's pretty rough up there too but to a lesser degree, yeah. Yeah, maybe it's ju- just as competitive and not quite as expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So the uh, Utah House, during the uh, 2021 legislative se- session, uh, actually on Tuesday, the Utah House gave approval for a bill that would increase oversight on youth treatment centers, also referred to as the troubled teen industry. Many reports have been published over the years alleging poor treatment of teens in the youth centers, including chemical sedation, physical abuse, and mistreatment. Hotel heiress and celebrity socialite Paris Hilton gave an emotional testimony supporting the bill as she recounted her own experiences as a teen at Provo Canyon School. As reported by the Salt Lake Tribune under Bill SB 127, treatment centers would be required to document any instance in which staff used physical restraints and seclusion um, and to submit reports to the Utah Office of Licensing, which is the industry's primary regulator. The proposal would prohibit programs from sedating residents or using mechanical restraints like a straitjacket without offices' prior authorization. Uh, the bill would also require uh, the Office of Licensing to conduct four inspections a year, both announced and unannounced, and would appropriate uh, $638,000 to fund eight new full-time state licensing employees to achieve that aim. Public records show that the office currently inspects most facilities just once a year. Um, this is a step in the right direction. Yeah. Thank you, Paris Hilton. <laughs> yeah, it shouldn't take Paris Hilton. I know, you know? right? <laughs> it takes a village or just Paris Hilton, if you can, if you can pull that kind of influence. Um, no, yeah, it, at any time that we're, we're taking uh, an industry that profits off of the misbehavior or, or um, the personal turmoil of another human – Anytime that we can regulate that a little bit more, I'm on board for. Um, it does seem like it was a little past year. I've been hearing about this for a long time. Yeah, I've, for the past year or so, mm-hmm. I feel like this has been in the news. And I totally agree with you. I mean, if you haven't had any new regulations for the past 15 years, and in that time you've mm-hmm. had multiple accusations and convictions for, mm-hmm. like, sexual misconduct, mm-hmm. like, you know, maybe get get in there. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, it just seems like any time that there's an industry like this, like we talked about when we uh, talked about all of the um, the the budget points that Spencer Cox presented yes. when he took office, um, there was that huge section in there on prison reform, and that was something that we were a big fan of because you know a lot of prisons are profiting off of people and they're not running with the intent to re- rehabilitate exactly the human beings. They're just trying to keep them there essentially. Um, as long as there's, 
you know, people in beds in those facilities that are making money. So anytime you have something like that, they should automatically just have some kind of oversight. And it seems like there maybe is a little bit, but it's just not strong enough. And um, also in the article, they talked about some amendments um, that were uh, presented. There was two efforts to amend the, amend the bill um, that also failed in the House, including one proposal that would have allowed these treatment facilities to induce pain on a child when necessary to, quote, protect an individual's health or safety. This was suggested by uh, Representative Rex Ship of Cedar City. Um, he said it would help center staff control violent children. Uh, sometimes He said, quote, sometimes they can damage other participants in the program or even staff. And so this sometimes will help. Maybe a bent wrist type of thing to help restrain them, unquote. <laughs> so he's like, maybe we could do wrist locks. He's yeah. like, what can we get away with here? How, how much can we hurt the children? Um, luckily though, the, the house shot down those amendments. That's so, good. Yeah. I don't must be just like a, he views himself as like Utah's parent. Yeah. It feels like such like a 1965 parental thing. Like yeah. oh, I'm going to twist your wrist and you're going to go to your room. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think maybe his dad was twisting his wrist a little yeah. too much. I have to add this story into these. This was a last minute edition, but shout out to Katie, who's not even in the state right now, but <laughs> she suggested we talk about this. Uh, In-N-Out Burger is bringing its 10th Utah restaurant to Salt Lake City, adding the uh, cult status drive through uh, to car-centric portion of the ballpark neighborhood uh, near State Street and 2400 South. So essentially, it's going to be where the old scone cutter burned down. Yeah. So State Street, State Street and 21st South, about 61st East. Um, it's going to replace a Burger King and the now demolished Scone Cutter restaurant, which suffered a fire in 2020. Um, the subway on the northwest corner of the intersection will stay. Subway lives. Shout out to Subway. Um, and the only question I had about this new story is, is there a possibility that In-N-Out burned down Scone Cutter? <laughs> <laughs> Just like an old gangster movie? They're like, yeah. we're coming for you. Yeah. I, I, I've, been, I've been saying we need an In-N-Out kind of closer to Salt Lake City because if you have Salt Lake City, you have West Valley, mm -hmm. Centerville, and Fort Union. Yeah. And those are the three in and outs. And so I would imagine that, you know, the people trying to scout locations for new in and outs want to get one close to the city Absolutely. center. Absolutely. Couldn't quite find the, uh, find the, the real estate. Mm -hmm. And maybe they uh, tried to buy out Scone Cutter, but those guys, <laughs> you know, they're very firm and they're very proud of their, their stuff. So they're, they're scones. You know, they had to, they had to burn the place down. <laughs> it, it's always possible. Maybe Scone Cutter said something about in and outs, mediocre mm. fries. Oh. And they're like, that just won't stand. It won't stand. <laughs> oh, man. Your building won't stand. Yeah. They, Scone Cutter can't talk crap about anyone's fries, <laughs> frankly. Um, but you know what's uh, uh, legit? Like when I heard when I heard about this, well, actually it was Katie who texted me. She texted yes. me. She's like, you got to talk about this on the podcast. I was like, all right. Um, but I went to the, the link that she sent me, and it was like a business development website mm -hmm. that talks about developments that are going on in Salt Lake. Uh, and they had some concept art of what, the In-N-Out would look like. Obviously, it's just an In-N-Out. They all look the same, but the area around it actually like looked really nice. They're going to put in some like gardening mm. and stuff. And it made me kind of think about that area in Salt Lake, uh, South Salt Lake. So probably from about 9th South to 21st South, mm -hmm. and that whole stretch like could probably become like the new kind of cultural ep epicenter. Like it could be the place where all the restaurants and yeah. um, basically from that stretch of State Street, it's a lot of like rundown buildings and a lot of like weird motels. They're very, I know that they're really into renovating State Street right now. Mm -hmm. So I mean, yeah, just yeah. just go ahead and call it. I mean, like, nothing says culture like In and Out Burger. So. <laughs> yeah, that's if you if you want a, a cultural epicenter in your state, stick an In and Out Burger somewhere, and and they'll flock. Culture will flock to to In and Out. I Burger. just want a Portillos here. Like I would, yeah, I, I would kill for a Portillos here. Scottsdale has one. Yeah, you explain this to me. Isn't that because there's a lot of retirement, like Chicago retirees I'm, in Arizona? I, I would have to assume. Yeah. I mean, there might be Portillo's elsewhere too, but like I've only had it in Chicago and in, in Scottsdale, Arizona. Well, I, there, there isn't any Portillo's in other Western parts of the United States, are there? I don't think it's so, just but Arizona. Maybe. For people who don't know, tell them what Portillo's is. It's a, it's just a, it, anything you want, you can get there. You can get chicken strips. They got really <laughs> good chocolate cake. You can get tamales there. You can get some of the best hot dogs you've had. Um, you can get burgers. You can get beer. It's, it's, it's like a it's, deli. Yeah. You can get a, you can get a hot beef sandwich. Love that. Hmm. 
It's great. Interesting. They wear funny hats. It's all you could want, really. <laughs> Hopefully, they can get a Portillo's in across the street from uh, the In-N-Out in That's South right. Salt Lake. We just got to burn down the Starbucks. <laughs> um, all right, let's move on to our uh, feature segment. Okay, so um, this is a segment we like to call Good Times with Bad Movies. And so what we're going to do here is we're going to try to state our cases for movies that uh, initially, when they were released, were perceived as bad movies. They were reviewed poorly. People didn't like them. And whether we just have a ton of nostalgia for them or we actually think they aged well, um, we're going we're gonna to unpack that. Yeah. Talk about the, uh, the movies that we actually think are good. Um, so do you want to go first? Sure. Go first? I'll okay. go first. All right. What'd you choose? It was, it was pretty tough to choose if I'm being entirely honest, because mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of hard to gauge the reception of something that came out a long time ago, you know, yeah, yeah. like I, there's a lot of stories about how Empire Strikes Back was initially like really yeah. kind of got a, some shit talked on it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and then it's also hard to gauge something new because mm-hmm. there's so much noise right now where yeah. it's like everyone's opinion is, is broadcast. Uh-huh. Um, but I also to that too, I think there's this other thing that you, there's these movies that you watch when you're a kid and you kind of fall in love with. And the best thing that can happen with those movies is that you watch them as an adult and there's 20 new things that you never understood as a child yeah. that you now get as an adult and it like actually improves or it goes the opposite way where you're like, this is really cringy and yep. bad and problematic. Indian in the cupboard, probably. I would imagine <laughs> that, that that was a problematic movie. Yeah, probably not great. I'm um, sure Small Soldiers has some some problematic stuff yeah, in it somehow. Yeah, I used to love the movie Jack with Robin Williams, mm-hmm. um, and I, now I'm I'm like I don't know if I want to return to that. I, I found out Francis Ford Coppola directed yeah. that movie, <laughs> which I, as a kid I like never knew. But I feel like if I watch that movie now, in terms of like plot and like pacing and stuff like that, I would be like, uh, this is awful. Yeah, it's probably pretty bad. <laughs> um, so this is the opposite of that. We're trying to find the stuff that we actually think aged well and. Um, is good. So what did you pick? I picked uh, one of the best movies of the past 15 years, and that mm. is MacGruber. Yeah. And so just to give like a little history about like how MacGruber came to be, like uh-huh. the idea for MacGruber was initially pitched in like 2005 by uh, Yorma Tacone, the mm-hmm. eventual director and Lonely Island crew member. Mm-hmm. Um and he, he actually initially pitched it for Lance Armstrong, who was supposed to host SNL at some point. Like, it was just an SNL sketch, yeah, sketch yeah. as most people probably know. Uh-huh. Um, most people know what MacGruber is, probably from SNL and not from the movie, mm-hmm. um, based on the movie's performance. Um, but I just got to quote what he, like, actually pitched. Um, I've got an idea about MacGyver's stepbrother, MacGruber, who diffuses bombs the way MacGyver would but all he needs to defuse bombs are like pieces of shit and pubic hair. <laughs> Everyone hated the pitch, but Tacone persisted for years uh-huh. until Will Forte relented because I quote, okay, fine, mainly just to get him to shut up. Like that's, <laughs> that's, that's what they said. Um, I love it. But, but fans really, really took to the sketches right away, probably because they're just absolutely absurd. And yeah. with each appearance, they just ramp up and like, their absurdity uh-huh. um, at a certain point. Like I know that I think it was his third ever appearance. He tries to defuse a bomb with a bucket of sperm <laughs> and this is like cable TV. Yeah. Like <laughs> it's just a, went for it. It's amazing stuff. And so after, after a little bit of time, um, Pepsi approached SNL about making a, a Super Bowl commercial and they chose MacGruber to use for that Super Bowl commercial. And then, um, you know, with that gaining popularity, Lauren Michaels said, Hey, let's make a movie. That, Which that's is usually a bad idea. Yeah, but that's happening more and more. That happened with Ted Lasso too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah that yeah, was yeah. a commercial, wasn't it? Yeah, Ted Lasso was a was like an NBC Sports commercial for just because NBC Sports got like the rights to to Premier League soccer. Yeah. Um. But yes. Um. So MacGruber, you know, that's how it came to be. It's just this this beautiful movie. Um. Some of the examples of poor reception. Uh, it has a forty eight percent critic score on Rotten Tomatoes mm-hmm. and a 35 percent audience score on Rotten Tomatoes it uh, made a measly 8.5 million dollars in its entire theatrical run which is Oof. 
crazy. Uh, yeah. Like 2010, like we're not hitting the lows of, of movie going that we have these days. Uh-huh. But just to put that into context, last year, the war with grandpa made 11 million between October 9th and 15th alone during a global pandemic. So, so more people went and saw a bad Robert De Niro movie than uh-huh. went to see MacGruber <laughs> in its entire run. Um, so that's just, that's just you know, chef's kiss in terms of like, wow, this movie is not getting the respect it deserves. Have you, You've seen uh, MacGruber. Yeah, yeah. I actually haven't seen it since theaters, but I remember like loving it. And I and I and I did love the uh, the MacGruber sketches on SNL. Mm-hmm. Like there was there was one where uh, Shia LaBeouf played his son. Oh, his gay son. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he was like, he was like trying to like come out to his dad during these like times of crisis, and it was it was just hilarious. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I I remember loving this movie. It's a it's a very funny movie. Some reviews that I thought were really funny. Going back, it's like going when you when you do this exercise, it's really interesting because mm-hmm. you are reading people that you know of or you respect and they're like just shitting on this movie. And it's so funny because you would think that they would like it given their sensibilities in 2020, you know what I mean? Um, Anthony Quinn of The Independent said, Forte is a pain, the scatological crudity, unrelenting, and the air of pointlessness, unignorable. (laughs) A.O. Scott, a film that poses a philosophical question fundamental to our inquiry here, namely, why does this exist? Yeah. (laughs) Just people... People were not a fan of, and it's honestly understandable. No, yeah, it kind of is. Like yeah. it's it's it is a an extremely unlikable character mm-hmm. on purpose, and he's just constantly yelling at people. He's being sexist. He's being homophobic. He's being just any any words you can think of. He's he's representing, and I just love it anyway. There are some of like the funniest jokes and largest laughs. Mm-hmm. Um, that I've ever personally experienced in this movie. You know? I, and I, I think I think that's something that I love about the Lonely Island guys cuz this came out 2010. Yeah. So that was right on the heels of their first album. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember that being like game changing. Like yeah. as far as like comedy music goes, like I'm on a boat. Yeah. <laughs> there was always these comedy musicians uh from like the 80s and 70s like Steve Martin was a like he he would do music um and uh, even Adam Sandler had like musical albums that were comedy. Yeah. And we didn't we didn't have that like for our generation. But then Lonely Island came along, and it just they just happened to be on SNL too. So sometimes they would create a song for their album, and it would turn into a sketch too. Like I think the "I'm on a boat" song. I mm-hmm. think they actually made put that music video on SNL. Oh really? Like, I think yeah. Like like there there was a lot of crossover with the kind of creative stuff that they were doing. And then when they started making movies, it was like. There was people who loved it, and there was people that were like, "What is this?" Like Hot Rod, is, yes, in, to me one of the most incredible movies. I ever. think so too. Hot Rod, <laughs> yeah. pop star, like they yeah. make funny movies. He, mm-hmm. Andy Samberg specifically, mm-hmm. who is usually like the front man of their projects, it yeah, seems yeah. like he has uh, just a direct line to like making me laugh. Like, yeah, everything he does makes me uh-huh. laugh. Palm Springs last year was hilarious. Oh, they so made good. they <laughs> so made good. that. Um, Bash Brothers, like that was hilarious. Twelve minute music Ugh. documentary, and it's like unbelievably funny. I know, but it was also one of those things where you're like watching it, and and this is kind of ha- how it's been with the last few things that they've done, with Popstar, with uh, the Bash Brothers thing, and then the one that they did with Kit Harrington, where they're like tennis. Oh yeah, Seven Days in Hell. That was so funny. Yeah, and but every time I watch one of these things, I'm like, this is gonna get bad reviews, mm-hmm. and. And I mean, I guess that's fine. Like, I understand why people won't like it because they really do. They're just like, I'm just going to swing for the fences on every single joke. They and show maybe a lot of dick, land. too. Yeah. <laughs> I respect the amount of, yeah. of male frontal yeah. nudity they yeah. have in their in their, in their work. That's innovation. Absolutely. But yeah. just to make, like, a little case for MacGruber, okay. like, it's all going to go back to Will Forte's performance. Like, you're basically, if you don't like Will Forte, you're not going to like MacGruber because... It is just an hour and 20 minutes of him yelling yeah. pretty much. Yeah. Um, so if your <laughs> mileage on him varies, that's fine. But I personally love, like, his very absurd and erratic, like, shtick. Uh-huh. Um, and, and you know, he, he plays MacGruber in just a way that you, like, cannot take your eyes off of him despite him being, you know, just an absolutely terrible human being. Yeah. Um, it's got a great cast. 
yeah. I think. It's got Ryan Phillippe. Uh-huh. Uh, it's got Kristen Wiig, the late great Powers Booth, who uh, yeah, he's just awesome. plays the straightest of straight men. He just plays the lieutenant in the movie, and like, no, they're in completely different movies. Like, yeah. every line that he says is so serious. And he's then doing just, Powers Booth exactly, yeah. <laughs> and then you just have Will Forte like saying, "But let me fuck you," you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and so I just, you know, it includes two of the weirdest sex scenes that I've ever seen, including one with a ghost. I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> he, yeah. He bangs a ghost. Um, it's got a very, very funny, like, getting the team together montage with a bunch of WWE superstars. Um, oh, my God. And then if you've seen the movie, just the, the letters KFBR392 will, you know, send you into a fit because that has this – there's a very long-running bit through the whole movie pretty much uh-huh. about about just a license plate. Yeah. And the way it ends and the way it starts is all just, <laughs> it's all just so funny. It's like, they're just trying to take like the idea of a, like uh, an action movie MacGuffin. Exactly. And just screw the audience over with it. Exactly. <laughs> um, I, I, I just pulled up Will Forte's, as you were talking about him, um, his, his filmography. And mm-hmm. that's really like the first movie he led. Like, yeah. It, it, before that, he was just doing kind of little bit parts in other movies. I think he was in a movie called Brothers Solomon in like 2008 with mm. Will Arnett. But like that was another one of those like oh, yeah. SNL movies that just failed on arrival. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's, he's, he's incredible. Yeah. And I, it's like almost like you, you probably don't have things like uh, uh, the last man on earth mm-hmm. without something like MacGruber where you can see him actually not only, not only like just like lead something, but sustain that energy that he kind of puts off because it's kind of unique. Just he's like wholly little, committed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, wholly committed. Yeah, um, he's, he kicks ass and he rips throats. You know what I mean? That's <laughs> like. <laughs> also, it's just like you can tell it's like this kind of send up of like '80s action cinema. Yeah, uh, and and but it's like not. It's not. It's also kind of laughing at it and how ridiculous mm-hmm. it is. And that's another thing that the Lonely Islands guys do a lot or like do well is like it almost doesn't seem like satire because they're just like going for it mm-hmm. and every everything has to be turned up to 11. Um, but they actually, if you just kind of uh, try to see what they're doing, it's it's a hilarious commentary on like previous iterations of pop culture. Exactly. I mean, yeah. with Popstar, you've got yeah, or the, the music Justin industry. Bieber yeah. documentaries. <laughs> I've heard that Popstar, it, it makes a great... Um, Double, double uh, pairing with uh, Miss Americana, the Taylor Swift documentary. Oh my like, god! I've I, heard I, that I, it uh, it makes it it makes it pretty kind of undercuts it a little bit. <laughs> that's that's hilarious. And now I'm like really fascinated with having that experience because um, I haven't seen Miss Americana yet. But that's that seemed to be the biggest criticism with that movie was like Taylor Taylor Swift's life is so hard. Here's here's yeah. the documentary of it. Well, you're trying <laughs> to you're trying to make a a person of a brand. Yeah. Even though you you took a person and you made a brand around them, and now you're t- trying to take that brand and turn that back into a person, uh-huh. and it's yeah. very it's very strange. Yeah. Um, just to wrap up, you know, I, the last question we have here for our for our topic is: Is this piece of media have a place in this day and age, mm-hmm. and are we primed, you know, to accept it as good? And yeah, I would say yes. Um, there is a MacGruber a television series in the work or works right now for oh, really? for Peacock. Yes. I thought they were doing a, uh, uh, another movie. So they're doing like a TV show. It might be a movie that's just on Peacock. Uh-huh. All I know is that I read this like 10 months ago that they were finally like, all right, we're finally going to get going on MacGruber too, because this is something I've been tracking for like six mm-hmm. or seven years now. Just like, cause obviously yeah. when you make $8 million, you're not getting another movie. Yeah. But I think, it, as it got more and more like cult status and mm-hmm. people started to have such, cause I don't think there is a big fan base for this movie whatsoever, uh-huh. but the f- people who do love this movie, I feel like really, really love this movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of like how it fits today, like I said, there's some really sexist and homophobic stuff in there. There's yeah, a yeah. line after he headbutts Ryan Phillippe, um, where he's like, <laughs> how's your, how's your nose rookie? And he said, oh, I just ran into a big vagina. It's fine. And then <laughs> MacGruber's like, oh, my face is a vagina, huh? <laughs> I bet you wish your nose was a dick so you could fuck butts. <laughs> it's, just, it's just like the most oh, ridiculous. That's, the, that's that turning everything up to 11 exactly, thing. <laughs> exactly. So it definitely has some issues, but I, I do want to yeah. give the creators the benefit of the doubt that yeah. they were making a movie about 80s action heroes, basically, and there's yeah. not an 80s action hero that... Yeah. That wasn't uh, problematic in a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. 
So um, that's McGruber. I got to go watch it again. Now, yeah, you, now I, you got me excited. I got. I, I think you do. Excited. I think you'll be surprised at how hard you laugh at it. Cool. Because it took me a while to watch it too. I, I saw it with, I know that you and I saw it with Duncan Waples. And, uh, and, and then I didn't see it for like four years or so. And then I've seen it probably five times since then. So it's, it's good. Is it streaming somewhere right now? I don't think so, but maybe Peacock. I'll find it. All right. So uh, I chose a horror movie. I'm oh. with horror in this category, which after I kind of went through this, I was like, maybe is that a cop out? Because horror always has like an uphill battle. Yeah. Um, as far as like criticism and stuff. But um, I stand by it. So the uh, movie or movies, depending on how you look at it, I chose uh, our the uh, Final Destination series. Perfect. Mainly the first one. So, yeah. Uh, in our horror movie episode, I think I mentioned Final Destination once as like I, I expressed my affection for your it. Your true, your true, true love. Your fan fiction. Yes. Yes. Um, so I love Final Destination. I love Final Destination one, two, and three. Four can <laughs> four can not exist. Is four the three D one? Yeah. 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 That's With where NASCAR. They, yeah. And every, <laughs> in every death, every piece of gore in that movie was built around a 3D pre- exactly. presentation and it was just horrible. Uh, Final Destination 5, Pretty decent. really good. And yeah. actually the highest reviewed oh, uh, interesting. of all the Final Destination movies. Um, so if you don't know what Final Destination is, Final Destination is a movie from t- uh, 2000. Uh, The synopsis reads, Alex Browning cheats death after having a premonition of a catastrophic plane explosion. He and several of his classmates leave the plane before the explosion occurs, but death later takes the lives of those who are meant to die on the plane. So a little history about what was going on at that time. So basically before the kind of mid to late 90s, horror movies weren't a thing really. They weren't on the national stage. And if there were horror movies coming out, they were either these kind of like Oscar bids, like they were trying to do like the Exorcist thing, mm-hmm. or they were just like horrible iterations of old slashers. So like Freddy, Jason, Michael Myers, like if you watch the 90s um, Halloween movies, they're rough, yes. <laughs> you know? And so there were these like kind of slashers that they just like had the, the you know, with all those serial killers or those, those kind of movie monsters, they have kind of a fan base that they can rely on. And that's basically where horror was. And then Scream came along mm-hmm. and basically messed everything up. And part of that was the deconstruction of the horror movie and, like, literally the commentary about horror movies and how we watch them and the templates that people use over and over and over again to make horror movies. Because literally it's, like, the, uh, the, the dead teenager model where you just yes. get a bunch of teenagers... Uh, you divest in sympathy and empathy by showing them being shitheads. And, you know, the, one of the rules they mentioned in Scream is, like, you can't have sex. If you have sex, you're going to die in a horror mm-hmm. movie. And that's kind of how it was. Is, um, like, they, they just followed the same template over and over again. And Final Destination came along. And essentially, it took that template and it kind of one-upped it for the new millennium. So even by 2000, there was already three Scream movies out. I think the third one came out the same year as Final Destination. And they were starting to get back into that templatized yeah. thing. And I'll get into this in a bit, but Final, Desti- <clears throat> Final Destination kind of has the same fate. Um, so uh, this came about five years after Scream. And it did take that 90s kind of teen slasher thing. And I think it like updated it for the millennium. And the writers were working on X-Files at the time. And this concept was originally an X-Files thing. Oh, interesting. And then someone like informed them, hey, turn this into like a feature length thing. See if you can do that. And then they ended up, uh, you know, expanding it into a whole movie. And um, I don't think this movie was ever going to win an Academy Award. No, no. <laughs> and I don't think it was going to appeal to like stuffy film critics. Um But I remember uh, my mom renting this movie at Hollywood Video. Yep. (laughs) And uh, I remember watching it on VHS. And this was like the moment where I was like, oh, there's other horror movies besides like slasher movies. Mm -hmm. Like this, and that concept was so incredible to me. And I loved the idea that like if you were supposed to die on a certain day, and you did something to stop that from happening, that 
you would have this debt that would get paid some way or somehow. And the cool thing about the concept of Final Destination is that it has the opportunity to, to prey on all these different fears. So like in the third Final Destination, two girls die in a tanning bed. And I'm sure, I mean, like, I think I, I think I went into a tanning bed once in high school. Yeah. And it's very claustrophobic and very hot and not comfortable. And so you can imagine, like, people that, you know, have regular interactions with tanning beds probably have this weird, like, what if this happened? A little scared, yeah. Yeah, it's just like taking these things that happen in everyday life, and they're like, what if this went wrong? And I think we kind of live with that every day where we're just going through life, and we're like, and, 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 it's, and sometimes it's like, it's kind of spurred on by something we see on the internet. We see something like an accident on the internet and it makes you think about elevators differently. Oh, absolutely. You know? And so like, there's these everyday things that we interact with that we kind of have these like small gnawing fears. Like what if this, and like Final Destination just gets to play with any of all of that. Yeah. To your point, uh, I, um, I saw Final Destination two before I saw any, any of the other ones. Mm -hmm. So I, I missed number one probably for a year or so because I, like you was yeah. very interested right away. Yeah. And to this day, so that's probably like, I don't know, seventh or eighth grade mm -hmm. to this day. I, if I pull up behind a, a truck that has like wood, the in, logs, in the, in the, yeah. yeah, logs in the back, like I'm like, Oh, final destination two, I'll move. Yep. So like, absolutely. They prey on those, those things because yeah. they stick with you in that same way. Uh -huh. Like I think about them when I think about final destination on roller coasters on occasion, mm -hmm. you know, when I go to NASCAR races and no, I'm just joking. <laughs> and that honestly okay so that's it's funny because that's where it kind of loses like final destination 4 sucks because it didn't turn into everyday horror the deaths were so fantastical that you're like no one's worried about that happening yeah you know i think there's literally like uh a guy uh a, a like a fire extinguisher gets broken and the the tank hits a guy and launches him into a fence and the fence goes into it, like, yeah, it, it like slices him. them up yeah. in a totally like non-believable way. And they even had to make the fence look sharp. Yeah. Like it was like a chain link fence. <laughs> and you're like, wait, what? Who like, sharpened that would, this? That, th that would never happen. Um, and in in uh, Final Destination, the first one, like someone dies just by getting hit by a bus. Yeah. Not paying attention and walking into the road. And, it, and there's no warning and it's super sudden. It's actually the scariest part, like the biggest jump scare. And I think one of the best jump scares of like all time. Like, I remember I had to stop watching the movie when that happened. And it's funny because, uh, uh, so I, I got, like, way into, like, researching, like, a, a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff with Final Destination. Mm -hmm. And as soon as, it, it, you know, people who've seen it, um, you, you'll know this moment, but people who haven't, I'm sorry for spoiling it, just go see Final Destination. It's 20 years old. Um, after this woman suddenly gets hit by a bus and it's super jarring and freaky and brutal, it cuts to a scene of someone watching a news story and they're sitting in their living room and they drop like uh, an antacid tablet into a cup of water. And the filmmakers, that scene wasn't originally in there, but they couldn't go from someone getting hit by a bus into more movie exposition yeah. because they're like, we literally need like 60 seconds of someone relaxing on a couch to get the audience like calm down again. Yeah, And so like, <laughs> the problems they were having in test screenings is that move that part was so jarring that people didn't know what happened in the next scene. They just couldn't remember it because they were still thinking wow. about that bus scene. And I, I, I love that. So like, um, I think this, these movies have kind of gained a little bit of a cult status. Uh, the, the bad movies didn't really help. And the third one I liked, it's not, not the greatest. That's when they started to kind of go off the rails. Yeah. I guess it's a good roller coaster Literally. pun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, and, and, and to the point of like the teen slasher movie and that template, the idea that you have a cast of characters and they get killed off one by one, it's not doing something incredibly new, but um, it, it, I do think that whereas like a slasher movie Basically, like Scream, for example, you have a person in a mask killing people. Mm -hmm. And the whole time they're trying to figure out who it is and why they're killing people. And then each Scream movie ends with the reveal and the motivation. And they're like, this is why I'm, I'm killing people. I have a vendetta against someone or whatever. That's what it ends up being most of the time. But with this, like you don't have that. And so you don't know. All you know, all you're wondering is like, are they going to escape? Exactly. Like, or anyone yeah. or anything can be the killer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, I think it kind of invented this 
21st century like way of doing movies where you can take a simple concept and then you can rewrite it where it's essentially taking a similar template, but you get to be creative with how it, how it plays out. So basically with a slasher, you can just stab someone. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe they've, they've tried to get, they've tried to get a little more creative with how, you know, ghost face kills people or. It's usually more creative just means gorier though. Yeah. Yeah. Or they use a different tool, you yeah. know? And um, so kind of like uh, with uh, Final Destination, the deaths happen in different, they, they, they always call it like a Rube Goldberg, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, the machines, the yeah. like reaction machines. Um, they create these new thing, these these new ways to kill people, and I think that's kind of what Saw started to do. They caught on to that thing where you like, we have this, this people know the template of Saw, and we just get to be creative with the different aspects of it. And it kind of started. I even thought like Paranormal Activity, which doesn't like kill people over and over again throughout those movies, but it's like found footage. That's our template, and there's a haunting going on. And rather than like showing a gory death, their way is like. How many ways can we scare people with like household items, exactly. and sudden movements, just moving and around? Yeah, yeah, how can we how can we balance suspense? And I thought I I, I like I kept seeing that like as I was like kind of doing my research, I was like, oh yeah, Saw, Paranormal Activity, these kind of movies that take these templates, and um, it was just like it was like the slasher film, but a step up in this like more creative mm-hmm. version of it, where they weren't just like relying on humans or some kind of monster to kill someone. Um, but uh, I, this is something that I think, like, today, first of all, I think as far as, like, how it aged. And I didn't mention the Rotten Tomatoes score. So Final Destination 1, 35%. Wow. Really low. Yeah, it's pretty low. And I think that's, like, one of the best ones. Like, yeah. it's, you know, started it all. Uh, Final Destination 2, 48%. Kind of a jump up from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Final Destination 3 got 43%. Uh, I'm not even going to talk about 4. But Final Destination 5 got, like, 67%. Like it really wow. climbed up, or like sixty three percent. I wonder if it was just like a reaction to Final Destination Four. Yeah, they were just like oh, yeah. At least it's not Final Destination. It could be like yeah, you set the bar so low that anything yeah. is just like. I've seen a lot of movies with you. I'm pretty sure I saw Final Destination Five with you in yeah. St. George. Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, so, but I, I should say that uh, I was reading through like the reviews of like the initial reviews. And I ran into Roger Ebert's review. Mm-hmm. Three out of four stars, dude. Wow. Yeah, he was like the most acclaimed uh, movie critic at the time. Respect for Raj. Yeah, and he gave the movie three out of four stars. He said it was a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, I like the. I really like the the kind of at least the the kind of uh, the economy and the ingenuity of the deaths, even though they're like so kind of sat like they're so. Uh, made fun of now, like the whole Rube Goldberg thing mm-hmm. or people are dying just because they're, you know, random items in their house are spilling and falling over and then it just leads to them. Yeah. And, and, and to people's credit, like they do get more and more bombastic as the series goes along. Like mm-hmm. more things have to happen f- for someone to eventually die. Whereas like in the first one, they, they almost die on a train track everyone gets out of the car because their car stops on a train track. Everyone gets out of the car. The train gets ran over. And then while they're talking, a piece of metal that got left under gets ricocheted from the train and it ends up like decapitating someone. Yeah. And you're like, that's a simple, just sudden, like that's a, that's literally the, the uh, definition of a freak accident and is somewhere in the realm of possibility. Oh, absolutely. Like, that yeah. Could, yeah. could happen. I love that. I love the, um, like red herring, like there's so many of those almost like mm-hmm. close calls. In, yes. In, and I know, I don't know if you're really trying to focus on the first one or not, but like in the second one where the kid's in the dentist office and like the little squeaky toy like falls yes. into his yeah, mouth. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then he just dies like yeah. five minutes later outside of the dentist office. Yeah. And so. the, yeah. I love, and that, that, that's something that they kind of got away from as the series went on is like, there, there's kind of like a, a like a ballet of suspense mm-hmm. where they're like, look over here, look what's that doing? The wind's blowing over here, exactly. And, and, and where the camera, they choose to put the camera, and not only that, but just putting you in social situations that people hate. Like the idea, knowing that people are dying in freaks ac- accidents, and then you put a scene in a dentist's office, exactly. that Im- immediately starts to drum up trauma, and this kind of like one fear fits all concept mm-hmm. where they're just like taking these everyday life things and turning them into, cause like, that's the thing is like, we are freaked out by this idea that at any moment, something catastrophic could happen or not catastrophic. Something very simple could happen and end our lives. And so, um, 
I just think that, like, I think it's an underrated concept and maybe the kind of slasher uh, format of it, the kind of, like, stack up the teens and then kill them off one by one. Um, I think that probably did it a little bit of a disservice. They were like, we've seen this a million times. But yeah. You've got just, I, but I think the concept is still, like, really cool. And I think it's something that, like, Blumhouse could do really well with. I think so too. You know, and I actually did a little uh, reading into like whether they were going to like continue making Final Destination movies or not, and I found out that they are, and that the idea behind the the new one is that they actually wanted to focus on first responders, and so they're trying to figure out like why these freak accidents are happening. Interesting, and that they get kind of wrapped up in it, and so they're taking kind of a different perspective from yeah. And I was like, oh, that like, seems like an interesting spin. That's um, that seems to be like kind of the uh, the mo these days, almost. Like you got the new Saw movie is Spiral, which is just like Chris Rock yeah. being a detective. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I wonder if that's like going to be the next trend. Yeah. Is like you take the outsider's perspective, not the other, not the actual. People. Yeah. It's like this is the viewer now with with the viewer. Yeah. And they're not wrapped up in it, but maybe they could be if they get too close or something like that. Um, yeah, I keep forgetting about Spiral. Yeah. <laughs> I saw really a giant like... fucking, like, cardboard cutout for it at the Megaplex when I saw Nomadland. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's coming that's out. That's a movie. Yeah. I remember when I they, something during – it was during uh, the beginning of the pandemic, uh, there was a news story that was like, Spiral's been delayed. And I was like, wait. And they had, like, all these images from it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wait, did the trailer come out? And then I found the trailer. I was like, what? This happened? Yeah. I didn't even notice. And it came out like six months ago. Yeah. So I always forget that, that that's a thing. The Chris Rock Saw reboot mm-hmm. is still happening. Um, so I guess we'll be looking forward to that this year. But yeah, I think they, they are, they you know, you do the concept one too many times and it gets kind of old. But like uh, I've seen actually like Blumhouse did something kind of like this with, uh, what was it called? Um, like Truth or Dare Truth or Dare, or yeah, 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 that's it. And it was, like, such a hacky, like, mm-hmm. silly version of that. Um, that movie, I completely decided I'm not going to see that movie when I... They, like, did some weird, like, manipulation with people's faces where they made it look like they were smiling. Oh, yeah, and I was yeah, like, yeah. what is this? This is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> it looked like when you, like, use the bulge tool in Photoshop. Exactly. And that's all they yeah. did. And they're yeah. like, it's spooky. Um, so, yeah. Final Destination. I think it's aged well. I still love it. And it, as far as, like... If you look at all the horror movies that we kind of have now, it's either like haunted house stuff, which could be high quality, like the Conjuring movies are awesome, sure. or super super low quality um, possession movies. Um, and I don't, we don't really get the slasher as much mm-hmm. nowadays. But like, I'm a huge fan of horror, and I think uh, it's it's one of the, uh, the the genres that gets a huge disservice. Yeah. Um, and if they just like took a, like a kind of like a Hitchcock approach to this final destination thing, I even say it would say like, I, I, I like gory movies. I like special effects makeup and stuff like that. Um, even if they kind of toned that down and tried to make it a little bit more about the suspense and not the kill, which again could be what they're doing with this new iteration, what they're probably doing with saw. I don't know if yeah. they're going to have like the torture porn aspect of saw. Um, but I think it's still, I think it's still a fresh idea that could be twisted and used um, in a different way. I think so too. I mean, like the concept is, is so simple that mm-hmm. it lends itself to like a million different ideas. I mm-hmm. mean, and it's been a while, you know, yeah. it's not like Final Destination 5 came out, you know, six years ago. Like it came out, what, 10 years ago? Yeah. Eight years ago? You know, so I mean. 10 years ago this year. Damn. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, it's time. I agree. I'm ready for it. Bring back Final Destination and MacGruber. MacGruber yeah. is coming back. Right on. So I guess uh, I guess just by the fact that they are working on new iterations of what we consider to have aged well is a good sign that it's because if you have any audience at all, there's a million different streaming platforms yeah. and everything that like there's gonna be demand yeah. for anything that had a pre-existing audience whatsoever. Disney Plus make Final Destination six happen. That's right. Um, all right, that's gonna do it for the podcast today. Uh, next week, we are going to talk about the new Netflix. Uh, it's a mini docu series called "Murder Among the Mormons." You, you saw the trailer for this, right? I haven't seen the trailer. You going I, in blind? I did a short read about what it was. I know who's who's one of the creators of it, which is surprising. Jared Hess. Jared Hess, who made yeah. Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah. Local filmmaker. I think but, he still lives in Sugar House. Yeah, I think that that's why it's a little less uh, surprising is just that he's local, and so he probably has an interest in the story. Yeah. Um, but the subject material 
um, is a bit surprising given what he has worked on in the past, Nacho Libre and all of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll, it'll be really interesting to see how it turns out. Um, so uh, just I'm just going to go over the synopsis real quick. It comes out on Friday, I believe, or today when this airs. I think today, yeah. yeah. Um, so high stakes exploits turn deadly and shake a global church to its core in the extraordinary true, true crime story. Um, so that's Murder Among the Mormons. If you want to uh, listen to the podcast next week when we break it down, uh, make sure you check it out over the next week. You have about seven days to do so. It's only three episodes. Three episodes. Yeah. Should be breezy. Um, and we'll see you next week. See ya.